Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We are broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the spot where technology meets entertainment. Now, if you're like the right, most of us, you're actually asking to be hacked. Most of us have really simple passwords that make us easy targets for hackers. Unfortunately, despite the fact that complex passwords are a pain in the butt, we need to create complex passwords in today's internet focus world so we won't be hacked. You know, a study by the online security provider Preempt found 35% of LinkedIn users have exceptionally weak passwords. So today I just want to tell you some of the key password mistakes that you should avoid. Firstly, don't use the same password across various accounts. If you use the same password at multiple sites, you are very vulnerable. It doesn't matter if these passwords are complex even if they're just an incomprehensible mess of lowercase letters, numbers, and uppercase letters, symbols. A hacker only has to crack this password once to access a number of your accounts. That's pretty dumb. Secondly, don't use all numbers or all letters. Use a variety of characters, numbers, lowercase letters, uppercase letters, and even symbols. You know, symbols such as exclamation marks, question marks, asterisks, you know, anything to make your password difficult to crack. Thirdly, don't follow a typical format. And there are typical formats which make it really easy for a hacker to crack. So even if you put numbers and letters in your password, don't put a string of numbers at the front or a string of numbers at the back or a string of letters at the front or a string of letters at the back. Put numbers at random throughout. Don't use obvious numbers such as your street address, your full birth date or your kids' birth dates. Don't use any of those. Fourthly, don't rely on short passwords. I know it's easy to say, oh, you know, my memory's going. Four letters is easy to remember or four numbers is easy to remember. One, two, three, four. Well, for a hacker, that's easy as pie to crack. So while long, complicated passwords are hard to remember, They are much, much more difficult to crack. So keep your passwords at least 12 characters long. And the more work hackers have to do to crack your password, the more they're likely to give up and go after somebody who has an easy password. Number five, don't follow well-known patterns. So even if you've got a password filled with letters and numbers and symbols, if it follows certain well-known patterns, hackers can crack it easily by relying on password cracking programs. Now, there are password cracking programs out there where they just go and bingo, you're exposed. Now, security consultant CoreLogic found that about half of internet users relied on five patterns to create their passwords, and 85% relied on just 100 common password patterns. Now, the three most common patterns were one uppercase letter, five lowercase, and then two digits. For example, B-P-R-I-T-C-45. They also relied on the second one, one uppercase letter, six lowercase letters, and two digits such as B, lowercase p-r-i-t-c-h, 45, 
And the third one is one uppercase letter, three lowercase letters, and four digits, such as capital B, PRI, one nine eight five. They're all easy to crack. So when creating passwords, avoid these most common patterns. As you look at those and you say, geez, they're pretty random. But hackers don't see it as random. They see it as very easy. Now, number six, mixing upper and lowercase letters in your passwords is a good idea. But you must randomly capitalize letters through your password. Don't have them all in a row. So randomly capitalize letters. Number seven, be really careful with exclamation marks. Some sites require passwords that include letters and numbers and at least one symbol. Adding symbols dramatically increases the complexity of your password, so that makes it much safer. Don't just fulfill the symbol requirement by putting an exclamation point at the very end of your password. It is too easy and makes cracking your password an easier task. Number eight, and the final tip is don't place numbers next to each other. People have the habit of bunching numbers together in their passwords. It's easy, 1985, your street address, 6043, or whatever it is. So don't place numbers next to each other. Makes it too easy. So I don't know about you, but I reckon I've got 25 or 30 things that have all got passwords. And they've all got different passwords. So, you know, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. So how the hell am I going to remember 30 passwords? Well, you've got to use a password manager like LastPass or Dashlane or 1Password. This allows you to store your password words through their encrypted and secure system. And when you visit a site, you can log in without needing to remember your password. Now, this is one of the safest ways to keep your passwords and to have them easily accessible. Okay, while you're listening to this show, you're probably typing away or you're looking at your, um, your emails. Stop what you're doing. Stop typing. Listen up. This is a very important message for every business. If you want to stop leaving on the money on the table, and we can't afford to leave money on the table. It's bloody hard enough to get. So you need to set your prices right. Not too expensive, not too cheap, just at the absolute perfect amount that a customer will spend. And if you want to do that, go to atenga.com. It's A-T-E-N-G-A.com and download their free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Prices. It's a quick read and it might be the most profitable thing you've done all day. You know, in one of my previous roles quite a long time ago. I worked for a very successful major multinational company. And the thing we had to do every night before we left work was to write down a list of all the things we did today that actually made a profit for the company. You know, and you think about it, you finish the day, you've worked non-stop all day, you've worked really bloody hard, you're tired But when you've got to sit there and write down the stuff that actually made a dollar, that list can be very short. And it really does. You want to get into the habit of that because it really does train you to think, I can't make a buck out of that. I'm not going to do it. I can make a buck out of this. I'm going to put a bit more effort into it. Well, my friend Per Sofas, he's the CEO of Atenga, can get your total investment in Atenga back. This is how little it costs in as little as four to six weeks. So you'll make all the profit for the rest of the year and you pay it back in four to six weeks. So go to atenga.com now, A-T-E-N-G-A.com. Or if you get my daily newsletter, Atenga sponsor my daily newsletter. So just click on at the bottom and you'll, you'll really be pleased that you did. Now, if you get my daily business newsletter, We've got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll if you don't get it. It takes just 30 seconds to read. It's always about really good stuff that's happening now somewhere in the world of business, 
and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. If you read this for a month, I guarantee you will know more on 30 subjects than anybody else work in your business, maybe exception of the CEO, so you might get promoted. Now, Stephen Hawking says, we are at the most dangerous moment in the development of humanity. And he's talking about the rise of artificial intelligence. And he says it's likely to extend job destruction deep into the middle classes. And Sam Hinkie asks, how are you preparing your kids for a life that has 60% unemployment? You know, literally the smartest people in the world think an unprecedented wave of job destruction is coming with the development of artificial intelligence, robotics, software and automation. A White House report just a couple of months ago said 83% of people that earn $20 an hour or less, their jobs will be gone. Up to 47% of jobs are in danger of being made irrelevant due to technology with the worst threats falling among the less educated. And between 2.2 million and 3.1 million car, bus and truck driving jobs will be eliminated by the advent of self-driving cars and self-driving cars are just around the corner. Now, self-driving cars are the most obvious job-destroying technology, but there are similar innovations ahead that will just dislocate cashiers. We know we've seen the um, experience by Amazon um, supermarkets where they have no cashiers, no people working in the store, fast food workers where they're putting in design your own menu and, and it can be done without workers, customer service representatives, AI, artificial intelligence is now smarter and in most cases a bloody sight more polite than customer service representatives. And groundskeepers, they'll be gone, and many others will be gone also in just a few short years. How many of these people will be readily employable elsewhere? Pretty much none. So you need to think about doing something about it now. So I can hear you say, oh, yeah, but look, this is all somewhere in the way distant future. You know, at the moment, I saw the figures the other day, unemployment's only about 4.6%. However, the US labour force has plummeted by 10 million people down to levels not seen in decades. The labour participation rate in the US is now at only 62%. And that's a rate that's below countries like El Salvador, equivalent to the Ukraine, it's not a pretty picture when you look at the total picture. There are 95 million working age Americans no longer in the workforce, 95 million, and the great displacement's already here, and it's set to accelerate. High rates of unemployment are linked to higher rates of substance abuse higher rates of domestic violence, higher rates of child abuse, higher rates of depression, and just about every other social ill. If you note the recent spike in drug and opioid, opioid overdoses in the US, and if you care about communities and our way of life, you need to care about people having jobs and you need to do it now. This is the most pressing economic and social issue of our time. Our economy is evolving in ways that will make it more and more difficult for people with lower education levels to find jobs and support themselves. You know, it's, it's a bit like the boiling water on the stove. We're like the frog. The boiling pot is getting hotter by one degree at a time, and we're the frog. We're ready to go. Unprecedented things are now happening in real time and starting to wreak havoc on lives and communities, particularly on those that are least able to adapt and adjust. So to reduce the worst effects of the great um, displacement, we should invest in education, in job training, in apprenticeships, in relocation, in entrepreneurship, matching people to opportunities. Give tax incentives to hire people. 
anything to make hiring and retaining workers appealing. And then we should also assume that for millions of people, that's just not going to work. Uber's going to get rid of its drivers, so is Lyft, as soon as it is at all possible. Its job isn't to hire people, it's to move people from A to B. They don't need drivers to do it. So we need to think, as William Gibson says, the future is already here. It's not just around the corner, it's here. It's just very unevenly distributed right now. And the future of automation and job losses is right now. Now, speaking of something positive, I saw a guy named Sebastian Terry speak the other day to an absolutely full house of entrepreneurs who have uh, heard everybody. And uh, I'd never heard of Sebastian Terry. And when he walked on stage with bare feet and a really broad Australian accent, I thought, this guy is a fucking nutter. But he absolutely brought the house down and gave everyone in the room a hell of a lot to think about and a hell of a lot to cry about. He brought tears to everybody's eye. It's an amazing presentation. It's guaranteed to make you laugh because the guy's as funny as hell. It'll make you cry because he really brings reality into the world and he'll really motivate you. You want to get up off your ass and do something. His 100 Things presentation is not like anything I've ever seen, and I have seen thousands and thousands and thousands of presentations. And I guarantee you, Sebastian will re-engage, connect and inspire you to roll up your sleeves and help. Now, I've become a friend of Sebastian's over the last few weeks, and uh, I'll talk to Sebastian in a minute about his remarkable rise to fame, how he did it, and you'll Find out for yourself just how bloody funny this guy is. I'll be back after a short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Where over the past five years, five and a half years, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 350 of the world's most interesting people. We've spoken about what it is they do and the challenges that they've overcome. And we, what we've tried to do is work out what it is that makes them tick. Because, you know, it's extremely rare to find an extraordinary personality or unique talent, and even more difficult to create a successful business. So we get them all on this program, and uh, we've got another gem today. And we all need to receive advice and assistance from those entrepreneurs who have achieved success because, as we know, somewhere around 95% of all businesses fail, and that's a hell of a lot. And uh, so we need to learn off everyone that has been before us and has been successful because we don't have time to make all those mistakes all over again. 
Now, I saw this guy, Sebastian Terry, speak the other day to a full house of entrepreneurs who have absolutely heard it all before. They've seen every great speaker on the planet. And when he walked out of the stage with his bare feet and his broad Australian accent, I thought, oh, shit, this guy's a nutter. But he absolutely brought the house down and gave everybody in the room a hell of a lot to think about. And, you know, he even brought a tear to my eye. This guy is really great and he's a phenomenal presenter. Besides the bare feet, if you need somebody at your conference, you're listening to this and you think, I've done all those other speakers. I've had the Pritchards coming out my ass. You know, I've done all them. So what I want is somebody who's different, who can really inspire people. Well, this guy's your guy. Just have a listen through this interview. Um, Sebastian's presentation, it's guaranteed to make you laugh and cry and laugh. <laughs> and he, re- he will really motivate you. His 100 Things presentation is not like anything I'd ever seen before. And he will re-engage, connect and inspire you to roll up your sleeves and get out there and do some good for the world. He actually makes a huge amount of sense and now does enormous good for a very substantial number of people. He's known worldwide for pursuing an incredible list of 100 things that he wants to achieve before he dies. That's not so special because everybody's got a bucket list of some sort. But surprisingly, his story's not about a bucket list. It's about something that's far more reaching than that, and it's about helping other people. And uh, sure, do your own thing along the way, but use the things that you can do to assist people that may need some assistance in that assistance in that area. Sebastian's got a pretty curious mind. Some would say <laughs> really fucking curious. But <laughs> on the death of a close friend, Sebastian experienced a moment in his life where he asked himself a very simple question. Am I happy? Now, how many of us could actually look in the mirror and say, I'm really happy with my life. I'm doing all the things I want to do. And when Sebastian looked in the mirror, his answer was no. And so he decided to make this list of 100 things that he'd always wanted to achieve. Now, following his heart, absolutely penniless, but nothing but a list and a great personality and and a great way of delivery. But his incredible story has grown from an entertaining tale of adventure into a global philanthropic movement that engages a whole tribe and growing rapidly of hundreds of thousands of people from all corners of the world. And uh, this army of supporters do not just set meaningful goals, but they actually go out and achieve them, all while helping others do the same thing. He spends his time traveling the world, connecting strangers. He then created a best-selling book, 100 Things, the Discovery Channel documentary, 100 Things to Do Before You Think. He did all this with bare feet. <laughs> and most recently, US-based reality TV show, 100 Things, where he travels the world helping complete strangers achieve their dreams. So to top it all off, he's a thoughtful and he's a really good guy. Sebastian, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard in 63 <laughs> countries around the world. Wow, that's incredible. Well, what an intro. That's that's a lot of yeah. pressure. Time 63. You're pretty You're pretty good. Um <laughs> Thank you, mate. It's very nice to meet you too the other day. <laughs> so let's begin by talking about some of the wacky things he's done. So we'll just start there. Like um, he decided to marry a total stranger in Las Vegas. So Yeah, that's true. That's a weird thing to think of. How did all that happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think when you're talking about lists and, and just coming up with goals, if, if list is too too kind of cheesy for you, I mean, we're all very different, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relative concept. So I think that... You know, whereas for one person, there might be quirky, outlandish things. Uh, you know, for someone else, it's, they're, they're more meaningful or it could be a blend, of course. So when I first sat down and put my list together, I guess at that point in my life, I, I really wanted to experience, um, I just want to experience the world. I was very sheltered. As you mentioned, I wasn't particularly happy. I, I wasn't living on purpose. I didn't know who I was. So I just put together a list of things that I thought would just get me out of my comfort zone in a number of ways. Yeah. And yes, uh, one of the first things I wrote down was, marry a stranger in Las Vegas because, um, as I saw it, it's, it's perfectly legal. So I don't know if there's anything too wrong with it. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just think 
why not? What an experience. That's just so bizarre. And, and, you know, I just wanted to experience different bits and pieces. So on the list it went. Um, and of course I flew to Las Vegas by myself, um, <laughs> with my one intention to find someone willing to marry me. It's a long story, but you know, the, the short version is I, uh, I met a, a stripper mud wrestling. Her name was Crystal. Uh, <laughs> I proposed to Crystal. Uh, she said, yes, thankfully. And uh, the next day, I went and found a wedding drive through chapel called the Say I Do Wedding drive through And uh, I had about 30 people turn up to this wedding as part of the, the wedding party. And I didn't know any of them. They just heard what I was doing. Um, but uh, as, I, as I mentioned to you the other day, um, yeah, Crystal, the bride-to-be, didn't turn up. So unfortunately, I was left kind of red There you go. A stripper with taste. I mean, <laughs> who the hell would have thought, right? <laughs> I know, I know. So I was, you know, it was, it was, it was quite embarrassing if I'm honest. I was on this Hummer, I had all these people, I had an Elvis impersonator, and I, and I thought, well, I'm gonna have to create an opportunity here. So I looked down at the crowd and I just said, look, is there someone else who'd like to marry me, please? I think I said it with desperation, and uh, and of course there was one person. Her name was Shivali. She was the receptionist at my hostel, and uh, she had always been looking to marry someone for the day too, and she was she was waiting for the right person. And that was me. So she hopped on top of the Hummer and uh, we got married. Elvis was great. And, uh, and, and there you go. We, we shared a kiss. That was the first time and last time we ever touched. And, uh, you know, that was, that was uh, a tick from the list, my first one. See, I, I, find this, I, I find this one really interesting because I've been married six times. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And one of those times was yeah. in Vegas at the Elvis Presley Chapel. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm an old hand at this shit. I, <laughs> I've got this stuff worked right out. Well, you must be getting good now. Six times. <laughs> yeah. Now I thought that was a pretty good story until I heard about the <laughs> when you asked a total stranger in Canada if you could deliver her baby or be <laughs> to the delivery of the baby. Now most people, having done that as well, most people would think that that's kind of weird and. It's hard to think of anybody who would – well, I find it difficult to find think of anybody who would let you sort of stand there in the in the <laughs> receiving position, if you like. Yeah. Uh, I just find that kind of weird. So that's a good story. Just tell us a bit about that. Well, I guess that, you know, yeah, just, just so we're clear, the reason I wanted to do it was, uh, you know, I – I'd never been, I'd never seen a baby being delivered. And I was fascinated by the idea of, you know, a human taking its first breath on earth. I just think that's unbelievable. Um, you know, so close to a miracle almost. So I thought, yeah. well, I, I just want to be part of that. I don't remember the time I was born, so I needed to do it again. And, um, and on the list it went. So it was less, I, I asked someone though, um, I just put it on my list and waited for someone to get in touch with me. And of course it happened. And there was a, a, a girl called Tara from um, Canada. And she said, look, I've been following your list online. I know you want to deliver a baby. If you come to Canada, you can help me deliver. I'm, I'm, I'm due. So I, you know, it was quite a bizarre email to read, but I said, yeah, no worries. So I flew to Canada to her hometown of Regina, which I think is just brilliant, <laughs> and, um, capital Saskatchewan. And, yeah. uh, and I met this girl and she was, you know, of course, very generous, very, very open. Um, very lovely, and we spoke every day for two and a half weeks. And and, and as you you might guess, it didn't work out. Um, she had an emergency <laughs> delivery, uh, and the baby was healthy, which of course is the only you know, really important thing. Sure. But uh, I was kind of left in this oddly named town with no money. I just used my credit card to fly over, and uh, and yeah, I didn't have a baby to deliver. So I, well, what actually happened was that the Canadian media had followed my story. So. You know, I was suddenly in Canada for a two and a half week period. A, a story. Um, there was there was nothing else going on in the country, I guess. So I I, I was all over the newspapers. And I was doing radio and I was doing breakfast TV. And one of the breakfast TV shows, uh, they called me up and they said, "Can we do an interview with you?" The, you know, tomorrow morning. And I reluct reluctantly said yes because I was quite embarrassed to be honest because I hadn't done what I wanted to do and. Um, the long and the short of it is, I was being interviewed the next morning on the TV. The the male anchor on the show called um, Seamus. Um, he, he, I don't know, he didn't really like me too much, I don't think, and he basically embarrassed me. He started the questioning with, you must feel so stupid. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I can't, why, why is he being like this? And at the end, he, in my opinion, spitefully said, um, so, now you failed, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I thought, I can't, you know, I can't believe he's being like this, and, but I'm a big believer that you can use any situation to create an opportunity. And I Absolutely. looked at the barrel of the camera, and I said, uh, look, for anyone out there who's watching, 
um, who's five centimetres dilated or more, please <laughs> know. And, uh, you know, would you believe that I got about 10 emails from people within the next 20 minutes and uh, I delivered someone's baby, a complete stranger, less than 24 hours afterwards. And it goes down as one of the most beautiful, unbelievable, surreal experiences of my life. And, and you know, before you ask, yes, I was in tears. It was, I mean, it was really, really really powerful and there's I mean it, it's funny there's you know I, I married a stranger I delivered a baby and there's a lot of other things I've done but you know it, it really taken on another life of its own you know um, yeah, sure. I could sit here and tell you I've done this and I've done this and I've done this but as, as you know it's not just about that anymore no so just one, one more story the Mauritian national uh, rugby team gets yeah. me because you don't sound like somebody from Mauritius and uh you know, yeah. really look like somebody from Mauritius. So, how the hell did you talk your way onto the into the national rugby team? Well, uh, good good question. Um, I don't look Mauritian. No, what what it is on my list? I wanted to represent a country or something. I wanted to sing the national anthem of a country <laughs> on the sporting field, and and I'm average at everything, which makes it tricky. So that was in there lies the challenge. But my mum is from Mauritius, so Mauritius is oh, okay. outer lying island, yep, of Africa. Yep. And uh, anyway, yeah, I applied for a passport. Um, they sent it to me. They spelt my name wrong even, which is just <laughs> hilarious. And I flew to Mauritius trying to find a sport that they were so bad at that it made me the best. Um, so I actually try. I don't talk about this so often. It's very funny. I tried out for the Mauritian Patonk team, which is kind of like a uh, – it's like bocce on the beach. You know, you yeah, see yeah, the yeah. old men with the – yeah. So it's bocce, essentially. Um, and uh, I, I just got humiliated. It's a lot harder than I thought. Um, I, I Googled the Mauritian Olympic Committee. They're a tropical island nation. And uh, and I, I organized a meeting with them. And they invited me in. And I sat down with all these men in suits. And, uh, you know, as you say, I, I, don't, I don't wear shoes. I'm not wearing shoes now. And I turned up like this. And um, they said, what can, we, what can we do you for? And I said, well... I've got a proposition for you, and uh, and I want to I want to become the Mauritian the first winter winter Olympian for Mauritius, and they said okay well we don't have a winter Olympian um, yet so yeah. what do you do and then I said <laughs> oh I don't do anything I just think in concept this could work and they they laughed me out of the office and then yes so rugby I ended up playing I played rugby when I was a kid I haven't played in about thirteen years and uh, I bought a pair of rugby boots I turned up to their national tryouts. And I mean, it, trust me, if I could have talked my way into the team, I would have, but no, they, they didn't know who I was, um, which is great. And I had to, you know, get in there via a lot of hard work over a six week period. And I made the team, I made the Mauritian rugby team. So not only did I make it though, Bob, we got flown to Botswana to play in the African um, championships, um, which we won. We won the championship. So I got three test caps. Um, uh, we played a game against Zambia, a game against Swaziland. We won 136 nil, which is the, the third highest ever international rugby score. Uh, anyway, it was funny, and I had to learn a new national anthem. Uh, I'll bet you that you, I, you know, I'm I'm Australian, I haven't lived there for thirty odd years, but I'm Australian. I could not sing the Australian national anthem. I have no idea of the words, and I'll bet you don't either. Hey, what do you mean? We can do this together. No, we can't. <laughs> Australians, all let us. Re- no, it doesn't mean I know. I know that much. That much I know. It's after that that I get to. Sort of <laughs> um, what's been your most profound moment? The baby birth, or something else lurking out there? That do you know, <laughs> it's funny. As I said, I think you know when I first started, I you know I hoped to reach a sense of you know happiness or or. I wanted to feel like I was living on purpose. And so, you know, as much as there are these crazy things, it's always the, the you know, the underneath kind of message or story. Yep. I think the baby birth was an interesting one because it was the first time I realized that the world was just a lot bigger than me. I wasn't special. I was doing things on my list because people are good. Yeah. And people want to connect with other people. I think that's why we're here fundamentally. And, you know, I'd been invited into the most intimate moment a couple could have. Why? And I asked them, why? And they said, because you're passionate. And I think, for me, it showcases that passion inspires passion. I think that when you see someone who is very genuine and authentically trying to search for something that they are passionate about, I think the yeah. world sort of turns up to help. And, and I found that with, with everything I've been doing. I've been helped in so many ways. I've been offered to deliver plenty of babies, which I have to say no to now. I get offered all these opportunities. I get offered lots of money, which I say no to as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that was a, a bit of a profound moment for me. Um, you know, I, I got offered a blank check from a very wealthy guy in New York at one point. 
Um, he heard about me. I was midway through doing a week of silence, which was on my list, number 72. And uh, I, I, essentially, I bumped into a mate of mine during this week of silence in the middle of New York. By coincidence, I couldn't talk to him, which was funny in itself. <laughs> he said, no worries. Let's go and let's go and uh, I want to introduce you to my mate. So we went into this pub and one of his mates happened to be the owner of the boat that my friend raced on. And he was quite curious about this silent Australian at the end of the table. So I wrote down my website and I gave it to him. And a week later, when I could talk, he got in touch and essentially said, I really enjoy what you do. I'm jealous. I, <clears throat> I have materialistically everything, but I don't have what you have, which is the ability to follow your passions and throw everything at you know what, what you desire. Um, so he said, I'm going to offer you an opportunity. And, uh, and I thought at first he was going to offer me his boat because he, he was a sailor. Cause I, and I thought, well, he's read my list. He knows number 40 is sail across the, an ocean. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that. Um, <laughs> he actually offered me a blank check. And he said, how much money do you need? I'm going to pay for you to tick off everything from your list. And that was quite an interesting moment. because again, it reinforces, well, people are good. He wanted to connect with me because I'm passionate about what I was doing. He, me- yeah. he meant it completely selflessly. Um, but then the, the more I thought about it, the, the more I realized that this journey isn't really about what I do. Right. or how many ticks this is all about. I, I think it's more so about uncovering who I am and then I'm able to try and be me. So when, you, when you started out, it was fell altruistic. You were out there, well, I guess you were out there to do things for you initially, weren't you? Yeah. So how far through your list of 100 things did you get and at what point did you go, aha, this isn't about me, this is a much bigger picture? Yeah, well, I mean, well, at that point, by the way, I said no to the blank check and I carried on with no money. I, I should make that a point. But um, yeah, I, number 26 on my list was to, to, to help a stranger. I've always wanted to help a stranger. And, and as my journey sort of accidentally got popular, you know, in the mainstream in Australia, you know, certainly uh, I was all over the TV and, you know, I got offered to write books and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, I started to hear from a lot of people who needed help with their right. items, but not just, you know, I want to go to Paris it was more so the reason behind it. I, I want to go to Paris because of something that was very meaningful or, you know, and I found out there were a lot of people out there who were lonely. There were a lot of people who were sick. A lot of people who were old or remote or whatever it was. And the first guy who ever contacted me, his name was Mark. And he was a able-bodied guy um, traveling through Greece years prior. And he got bitten by a tick and contracted Lyme's disease. Jeez. And within, I think it was six months, he went from being fully able-bodied into a quadriplegic. He can't talk. He needs a ventilator to sleep at night, a 24-hour care team. I mean, it's tra- it's, it's, there's no way of sugarcoating it. It's so no. sad. Yep. And Mark basically said, I've seen your TV. I want to create a list. I've, well, I've created a list. Um, would you come and shave my head? So I ended up shaving Mark's head, which is an odd thing. So I went down to Melbourne, you know, in Australia, and I shaved this stranger's head. And I got to learn more about Mark. And as I was shaving his head, I said, look, is there anything else I can do for you? And he said by his translator, well, I've always wanted to complete a half marathon. And I said, well, you know, and I'm quite slow on the uptake. And I looked at him and I said, well, how, how on earth do I help you do that? And he just looked at me and it was the first thing I ever heard him say. And he said, uh, push me. And it was so simple. And it, and it is funny, right? Yeah. But it's, I think it's so powerful, you know, the idea that he hadn't done this before because no one had offered to push him. And I said, why is no one offered? And he, he said, well, I only just came up with my list. Which I think is another message. It's really important to put down our goals on paper because I think you yeah. then you, 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 you pull the trigger on them. So anyway, um, I'd never run 21 kilometers in my life. I never wanted to, um, but I suddenly felt that I needed to. And I, you know, if, if, if I'm being completely honest, it was the most important thing to me. But like instantly, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I signed us both up for the Melbourne Half Marathon, and I ended up pushing Mark in his wheelchair. And it was the greatest thing I've ever done. I, everyone knows me for doing all these outrageous things, but the best thing I've ever done was help somebody else out. And I think, I mean, I, I kind of use this analogy. I, 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 I'm working out that when you're on a plane and they'll say, in case of an emergency, oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. Please yeah. put yours on first before helping others. I, I think it's so true to life. I think that we, you have to look after yourself. You have to be living on purpose. You have to be pursuing who you are on a, on a deeper level. And I think when you get closer to finding that, you can then help other people do the same. And you know, the, 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 again, another analogy is you can't fill anyone else's cup of water and, until you've got water in your own cup. So yeah. Mark was a turning point for me. I'd been helping myself. Mark was the first person who, who asked me for help. And I realized at that point that I was actually on a really good good plane myself and I was ready to help others. And Mark was the first. And from that moment, I haven't stopped helping people. And that's been the most profound moment because it's completely changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah, it, it, it's so satisfying. I know I've got... Um, uh, um, 
an ex-business partner or a former business partner staying with him at the moment, a woman that um, 20 years ago, we set the world on fire. We went around the world. We did all sorts of incredible promotions and worked for all the big companies and made a shed load of money and did a lot of things. And then she became very ill and uh, hasn't been able to work for a few years and she's now blind and got um, feet missing on both legs. And uh, just having her here and being able to take, take her all over LA where she used to live a long time ago and it just gives you such an enormous feeling of satisfaction and yep. uh, and I think you're right I, we were talking last night and um, I was saying if I had my whole life over again I wouldn't do anything different because I've been so blessed with so much stuff that's fantastic yeah you get the odd hiccup but overall 99% of my life's been great so giving back to somebody else becomes really gratifying and particularly if you've been, in, like I have in my life, pretty selfish sort of a bastard, um, <laughs> then, you know, it, it, it's enormous. So how, yeah. how's this changed you? Well, I think I've realised, um, I think we're all here to connect. You know, I, I think that's yeah. just why we're here. I think innately we all have this ability and desire to help other people. Um, but the problem is we don't always find the avenue to do so. What, what's happened is that I now, I now dedicate my life to helping people. Got turned into a, a show last year in the US and... And, but the, the, the problem was that I, I couldn't help everyone. You know, if, yeah. I guess many people ask me for help. Um, but what's happened is that I have this whole community of people following me now, and they are now offering to help me help people. So I've been connecting complete strangers to help each other with meaningful goals, and, and that's sort of what I'm up to now. It's kind of what I'm, why I'm here in America at the moment. I'm, I'm developing a, a technology that's going to enable that to happen. Fantastic um, idea. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I'm so passionate about it. I've literally just flown to America with no plan, just hoping to bump into the right people to help me, you know, make it happen. And it seems in a three-week period, very quickly, a lot of people have come around it, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I think it's all based on the idea that, yeah, we all need to be helping. We all need to be connecting with other people. And, I mean, it's funny. You mentioned being a selfish bastard, but I think being a selfish bastard is really important at one point, as long as it, it morphs. And I think, yeah. you know, the benefit to being selfish is you can work out who you are, hopefully, um, and maybe selfish isn't quite the right word, but I think in doing so, in being able to identify who you are, and so you can act in the, you know, the, the most appropriate way in line with what you stand for, your values, your principles. I think you can then open it up and help other people. So, you know, I'm finding this this overwhelming wave of support because it seems that everyone wants to help, but we don't know how. And as charity is great, you know, I'm very proud to be a, you know, the Australian ambassador for the Make a Wish Foundation. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think we're missing the peer-to-peer -peer help. So, you know, we walk past people in the street without knowing that they need help. But we all do in some way, shape or form. So I think my kind of purpose is this idea of being able to shine, shine a light, A, onto, onto people who do deserve a helping hand and, and, B, provide a platform for people to be able to exercise their philanthropic arm. Because, you know, some people I've even heard people say, well, it's very selfish you wanting to help because you get something out of it too. And I look at them and I say, yeah, I, yes, I do. Is there a problem with that? You know, every, it's a win-win. Yeah. You help somebody who needs help and you yourself feel great for it and, and vice versa. And the ripple effect is that person can then go on and help somebody else out. And it's great. I've just realized my, my screen's frozen. Have I been looking like that for a while? Um, I don't know. I can't see you. Um, oh, great. That's all right. I, I, I know I'm, you're there, but that's all right. We'll, we'll work around it. Um, the... Um, the United States is a fantastic place for people helping people. Um, you know, I've lived here 30 years, but I've, I've been to, I don't know, 70 odd countries around the world. And I think this country, more people want to help more people. You sit there and watch the news and you see the things the police do for, for kids and the things fire do and all sorts of thing, amazing things that happen here that I haven't seen that level of generosity from a community anywhere else in the world really have you um I, I find yeah i find america incredible in terms of like the, the culture of people wanting to help each other out from a uh you know like you have I'm, I'm here in venice in la at the moment and right. anyone i talk to anyone i talk to they're like right i need to put you in touch with this person because they're gonna be able to help you do this i need to connect you with this person hey my own business can help you do this and so the culture the the, the kind of norm the default here is to help everyone yes it's, it's brilliant the collaboration it's super inclusive um, any idea is an idea that people want to talk about, and I think it's, it's great in that sense. And I, I do find it, you know, I think Australia is a fantastic place. I love it. You love it. Everyone loves it. Um, but I do find, yeah, in America, there's something slightly different, um, 
slightly more supportive, and uh, you know, and I think that's one reason why I'm just sort of um, having a little sticky beak over over in this neck of the woods to see if anything's going to happen. And you know, at the event where we met Bob, you know, I was, as you know, I, and you were one of them. Um, so many people came up afterwards and, and said, Look, let, "Let's help out um, in some way, shape, or form." So it looks yep. as though I've got you know uh, a developer on board to help me for free, which is incredible. And then I've got people like yourself saying, "Hey, I, I love your message. I'd love to share it with more people." And, and again, I'm so appreciative for that. So, yeah, the, I mean, ultimately, as I said before, the world's full of good people. Um, we all want to be good, and if we're not being good, it's because we haven't been given an opportunity yet. I don't think. So um, I'd like to think that uh, you know everyone's got a best mate. Yep. Everyone in the world has a best mate. So essentially, the world is full of best mates. So that's a good place to be in. Yeah, there's a lot of assholes too, I've got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got, are you getting people from all over the world or is it, are there some countries that are more more wanting to help other people than others? So well, the, the helping part in terms of, I mean, the, the helping part is something I'm, I'm more exploring now. Um, I've been helping right. people for, for years and years and years. Um, but it's wherever my story goes, people want to help. So, you know, obviously my story is very loud in Australia. A lot of people know it. Yeah. Um, and so I get lots of people asking for help and lots of people wanting to help. Um, there's, there seems to be a, a big push now in the US. My, my show came out last year on Go90, which is a Verizon product. It's called 100 right. Things. And, and from that, there's a, you know, a, a whole new batch of people who want to help um, me help people. Uh, there's an ESPN documentary coming out May 7th, I think it is, uh, right. on SportsCenter about me helping people, which is so bizarre and I'm so thankful for it, but it happened out of the blue. So I think, you know, in America yet, yeah, there's a big big wave happening now and it's, it's about to get bigger and bigger and bigger and I want to explore that. Sure. Um, you know, I, it's wherever the message goes. I did a documentary a few years ago with Discovery Channel and that went through all of Asia, went through all of Europe and so there were lots of people there too. So I find, I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I get asked to speak and share my message on stage around the world yep. and in those rooms everyone wants to help you know yep. if I uh, and, and I feel it's such an amazing opportunity to, to engage and almost activate that philanthropic switch which everyone has sure so um, yeah the people who haven't heard of me um, but, and by the way there are plenty there's lots more people who haven't heard of me than have um, you know I'd like to think that if I was to had an opportunity to spread the message further or share this app at one point yeah they'd be on, on board too yeah yeah, I think that's true. So what's next for Sebastian Terry? Where do you go from here? Well, I don't know. There's never been a plan. Um, you know, this is all accidental, uh, but I love it. It's, it's all I do. I took a, a, I made a decision eight years ago to step away from, you know, this, this normal way of living that, that was, you know, prescribed to me, yeah. and, and I haven't stopped since. So, I mean, I, all my energy is going into this app. I, I think it has the, the potential to change the way that we interact with each other fundamentally. Um, and past that, I don't know, my, my head's just in it at the moment and I'm just going crazy trying to make it work. I, I think, you know, the ideal situation that it becomes, you know, just a household app that people use to connect with each other because there's no, there's no, um, you know, you can do anything on the phone nowadays. You can pick it up and you can find a girlfriend or a boyfriend or buy a pizza, get a flight, get you know, anything. Yep. But you can't go on there and ask for help and you can't go on there and find somebody, an individual who needs help. So, um, you know, I'd like to think that would just become an, a, a normal, a norm, and so this thing is just used everywhere, and it makes the world. If it works, it makes the world a better place. It's as simple as yeah. that. If it doesn't work, I'd like to think it was just because it's not needed, but I feel that it is. Oh, there's no question that it's needed, and, and I think the great thing about it is that no matter who you are, or how much success you've had, or how much talent you've got, or how much personality you've got, we all have problems. We all have needs. We all have blanks that we need to fix and and we all have fears that we need to overcome and uh, so everybody can really help everybody I mean there's there's not two groups of people one that are the helpers and one that yeah need help I mean everybody needs help and the people that are possibly less able than others can do a hell of a lot to help those of us who are very able Absolutely. And it's, it's non-monetary. I mean, often I get a lot of phone calls from people who are lonely, you know, and they just want to talk. So, biggest, yeah, you, anyone yeah. can do that. Biggest business in the world. The What's lon- that? The lonely business. Okay. Uh, more people in this world lonely. Um, I was marketing director for Kerry Packer, and uh, the, we did a big study, and the one thing that came across really strongly was the biggest, more people are lonely than have share anything else. People wow. are desperate, and I reckon that today they're probably more lonely because they're relying on the phone. Yeah. And well, that's the irony, isn't it? You got no the social contact. contact. Yeah. 
yeah, you've got a million ways to connect now. WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, all the other ones. Yeah, people are feeling more and more disengaged and more yeah, and more isolated. And I mean, it's uh, there's obviously something happening that's you know that's uh, that's not healthy for us. You know, as as, as a community, as as a culture. I mean, I you know you, you look at like these advancements in technology, and I mean, I'm pretty you know technology unsavvy. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you look at all these advancements, and they're talking about having glasses where you know if, um, I don't even know I, I don't even know what the, the terms are AI or something, and like yeah. this world. AI, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what, I mean, I guess there are practical implications, certainly I've heard some amazing ones, but just socially, like you don't want to work, what, a, a family sat around a dinner table wearing glasses, not engaging <laughs> with each other, I mean, it makes no sense, I, yeah, I think there's something about being present, and so again, it, it leads to connection, I think to connect with others, you need to connect with yourself first, Yep. Um, and, and, and there's there's something in that. And I think the, the rate of change is, is um, such that most people can't keep up and feel inferior. I know um, we met at Metal, which I've talked about on this program a million times. It's, it's 2,000 of the cleverest people in America. And you can be uh, – I was walking out with um, a fellow that um, is a member and been a member for a long time who created Atari and um, was Steve, Steve Jobs' mentor for – you know, 30 years, and he was saying that sometimes he walks out of metal feeling like an idiot, you know, <laughs> because it's just this volume of high-intensity information that you sit there and go, what? You know? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, you know, you know, Ken, the, the founder, yeah. uh, uh, you know, far better than I, but he's an amazing guy. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty special place. I went in there yesterday, actually. Uh, sorry, Saturday, two days ago. Yeah. Again, and uh, you know, just to listen to the, 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 yeah, like you say, there are people on there who talk, and I just listen and I try, and I'd love to understand it all, but I don't. <laughs> Me too. But, uh, but one thing that I'm really happy about is that you know I got the opportunity to speak two weeks ago, and on a very simple subject, which is what we're talking about, yeah. just pursuing happiness and, and helping others, and um, that resonates with everyone. Oh, you, and, you uh, killed them, mate. You absolutely brained them. And trust me, I've been there about six years and we have seen every great speaker on the planet and you're right up there with them. Oh, mate, that's really nice of you to say. Thanks. Thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Sebastian and all the great stuff he's doing at 100, in numerals, things.com.au so that's 100 numerals 100 things.com.au and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice American Business Network after this short break from the boardroom to you Voice America Business Network You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week broadcasting to the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Oh, excuse me, where technology meets entertainment. I don't know why, how you get a cold living in Los Angeles because it's beautiful one day and perfect the next. I just don't get it, but I seem to have got it. So let's talk about what you need before you go out raising funds. You know, once your fundraising plan and your pitch have been put together, make sure you've got the assets that you're going to need in order. And once you've got the basics down, it's pretty easy to prepare all the other documents that you're going to need. The first thing you need, though, is an elevator pitch. And uh, an elevator pitch is a short synopsis of your business conveying three things. What's the problem you solve? What is the solution you provide? And who are the people that you serve? Preferably saying all that in just one or two sentences. Surprisingly, trying to get your pitch to say all that in a few words is really hard to do. 
for example, if you're talking about Netflix, you might say, we allow anybody to easily rent and watch TV programs or movies on any device. That's a start. You could build on that. But you'll use your elevator pitch often. You'll use it in introductions. You'll use it to uh, in your emails. You'll use it in your presentations and during um, meetings. Just rehearse it and make sure to keep it short. The next thing you need is a pitch deck. This is a PowerPoint of your business plan. And while a business plan is a long narrative of the business, the pitch deck is what you'll use to present your concept directly to a room full of investors. So the pitch deck's more visual, a maximum of 10 slides, highlighting a few key points with minimal copy. I remember that Steve Jobs said the uh, ideal number of words on a PowerPoint slide is one. (laughs) Hard to do. It's particularly useful when showing off graphs and visual assets to communicate the value of your idea. The next thing you need is an executive summary. And the executive summary, it summarises your business plan into just a page or two, and they're usually 12 or 14 sections in a business plan. So summarise these key points as briefly as possible using each major section of a business plan as the guide. The executive summary is going to inform those investors that want a more detailed narrative after you've given them your elevator pitch. Business plan you need, and this is a time-consuming process where you develop every single step of your business strategy and your business plan from start to finish. And the real value of a business plan comes from the planning and the brainstorming and the research that goes into crafting the plan. And the result of this effort makes your new business idea look and sound and be actually far more credible. You need a website. And the website provides a professional view of your company, who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. It highlights the people that you've got involved. It's highly recommended to have a um, website when you go pitching for capital. The website provides supporting information for people interested in learning more after hearing your pitch. You don't put financial forecasts or any secret source on your website. You're going to need financial documents, and the financials cover your revenue forecasts and your operational expenses and your cash flow. So your revenue projections, well, this is hard because you've really got to pick a number out of the air. So you Try to calculate as best you can where your revenue is going to come from and how much it is and in what periods of the year. So um, you really should do that for three or four years. We realise it's a guess, but so does everybody else. Make it as accurate as you can. Operational expenses, as your business grows, point out where your expenses are going to grow. You know, you're going to need more staff, you're going to need more more, um, product costs, marketing and overhead, rent, supplies, all that sort of stuff. And so you need to detail that so that you can show that you can scale your business. And then cash flow. Your cash flow should detail exactly when you expect cash to come in and out of the business. So um, be ready to provide all those things to a potential investor. Okay, it's possible to start your capital raising without all these documents, but it isn't advisable. Now, don't forget, stop what you're doing, listen up. If you want to stop leaving money on the table, you need to set your prices right. It's so important. I have seen companies turn around on a dime simply by adjusting their prices so that they are exactly what is needed for that product at that time in that marketplace and you don't leave anything on the table and my my friend per sofas can get you your total investment back in as little as four to six weeks and then the next 48 weeks you're just making money i invite you to go to my website bobpritchard.com enroll for my daily newsletter it takes only about 30 seconds to read and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that you're that's important remember If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It is easier and it is much, much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. Next week, we'll be back broadcasting. No, we won't. Next week, we'll be broadcasting from Asia. And I hope you can join me again 
in the meanwhile, continue to be highly successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.